Sometimes our imaginations are captured by the possibility of alternative explanations. Join me as we explore the historical events and public state of mind that influenced the appeal and popularity of the most enduring alternative theories out there. I'm Ryan Nelson, and welcome to Conspiracy Theoryology. On this episode, episode 11, Hoover Dam and the legend of bodies buried in concrete. How does a fanciful, if not outright, disturbing legend like this start? And how plausible is it, really? Is this urban legend just so good that it repeats on its own? Or is there something more impactful about the massive structure itself that speaks to us on a more subconscious level? Stick around until the end and hear about a real legend of the dam's construction. After the break, we will pour over the history, evaluate the evidence, and make concrete decisions regarding our fascination about bodies buried in the Hoover Dam. Howdy, theoryologists. Well, for the regular listeners, uh, it is painfully obvious that this episode is weeks late. And for that, I, I'm truly sorry about that. The family and I have moved. Uh, gear was in various states of, of unpacked. Uh, a microphone broke, and the internet installation proved more complicated than, than anticipated. I finally had to accept the inevitable that I just wouldn't be able to cobble together an episode that I would feel acceptable to give y'all. But we're back on track, so so let's get started. Now let's talk about the Hoover Dam, specifically that oft-told cautionary tale of bodies that have been buried within. Now, pretty much the story goes as this. You know, a worker falls into a pool of wet concrete that's being poured as part of a major construction project, right? Before he can be saved, his body slips beneath the surface and he drowns in the thick soup of concrete. Now, of course, pouring concrete is a slow and tedious job, and, and once the pour is started, it can't be stopped without ruining the whole block. And that section of the project has to com be completely redone. So, rather than dig the dead workmen out of the concrete pool, construction supervisors and, and heartless bosses let the body sink further into the concrete, and the poor workman gets entombed forever in the structure that he was helping to build. That's pretty much how it goes in some form or another. All of the uh, best elements of an urban legend are there. So, you know, now that we have that, let's let's dive into our, our background and origin section. You know, since about uh, 1900, the, the, the Black Canyon uh, and, and the nearby Boulder Canyon in, in that uh, part of the country has been investigated. It's it been investigated for their potential to support a dam that would control floods, 
provide irrigation, and produce hydroelectric power. Now, by 1928, Congress had authorized the project, and the winning bid to build the dam was submitted by a consortium which began construction on the dam in 1931. Such a large construction had really never been been built before, and, and some of the techniques were rather unproven. Uh, there was this uh, horrible summer weather and a lack of facilities near the site, which also prevented difficulties. And nevertheless, the, the dam was turned over to the government uh, on March 1st of 1936, more than two years ahead of schedule. With the body of water that would become Lake Mead already beginning to swell behind the dam, the final block of concrete was poured and topped off at 726 feet above the canyon floor in 1935. On September 30th of that year, a crowd of 20,000 people watched President Franklin Roosevelt commemorate the structure's completion. Approximately 5 million barrels of cement and 45 million pounds of reinforced steel had gone into what was then the tallest dam in the world. It's 6.6 million tons of concrete, enough to pave a road from San Francisco to New York City. Altogether, some 21,000 workers contributed to its construction. Hoover Dam fulfilled the goal of disseminating the once wild Colorado River through the parched southwest landscape, fueling the development of such major cities as Los Angeles, Las Vegas, and Phoenix, capable of irrigating 2 million acres, its 17 turbines generate enough electricity to power 1.3 million homes. Now that's the background of the dam itself, and it's an amazing, amazing uh, construction story. Uh, that's just a high-level introduction, and I encourage all of y'all to jump on and watch a documentary Listen to a discussion of that. It is still a profound and major feat of construction. Well, now let's jump really into some of the potential origins of the the legend itself. Uh, primarily, this really started probably as worker stories. You know, these are stories that, that these guys, after a long day of work, uh, getting together at, at, you know, the local watering hole or... or uh, a restaurant or bar or diner, they're going to tell stories, and they might tell stories to uh, some of the newbies, uh, tell stories to family and friends. Uh, mind you, uh, they're all living in in uh, towns that were built up really specifically for the down, dam. These uh, and the construction. I mean, these are basically worker towns. You know, it it started out as as that, and and. There's such a, you know, they, they capture the imagination so much that, that they're, they kind of stuck and they keep going. I mean, it just, it just goes on itself. Uh, and I'm sure they grew and, and they got more elaborate and colorful as time went by. But, uh, you know, in addition to the stories, uh, the, the, the stories alone um, were actually just encouragement to probably some recent memory. You know, there's mistaken memory of similar construction. There, the case of the Fort Peck Dam, which was built in Montana from 1934 to 1940, 
in September of 1938, a section of that still uncompleted dam had failed and broke away from the rest of the dam. I mean, it, a massive amount of earth and, and boulders buried eight workers as it collapsed into that lake. Two bodies were recovered, but because of the sheer size and the enormity of, of this collapse, uh, six bodies were never found. So they actually are entombed in the Fort Peck Dam. But, you know, that's a very different case than being entombed in concrete, as, as the uh, Hoover Dam story goes. Now, obviously, the primary cons uh, criticism for this urban legend is really basically just because of how it's constructed. And we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, I, I dove into this. My background's in construction. I found this fascinating. But <laughs> rather than really dive into the specifics, here's a, a bit of an overview. Now, you know, the dam contains, what, 4.4 million cubic yards of concrete. It was poured in, in sections of roughly a thousand cubic yards at a time. And with each of these, uh, these slabs being allowed to set before the next was added. Uh, and, that, and that sounds like a lot, uh, but, but these, between these are, 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 these layers are known as cold joints. And those cold joints, uh, created by this sectioning, that they're actually very deliberately factored into the engineering of the structure, those those ex those joints allow for uh, expansion, uh, and they allow for uh, proper settling and uh, proper curing of the concrete. Um, you know, each segment, with even with that a massive amount, it it took hours to pour. Uh, we, you know, the wet concrete arriving in buckets, containing only about eight yards of concrete each. Now, had someone actually lost their footing and fallen into the pour, really they'd have been able to just easily right themselves, stand up. And, and even if injured, they could have been pulled from the wet uh, concrete by, by their fellow workers. Not to mention that each of these slabs is filled with a cage of, reinforced, uh, of reinforcement steel. So, you know, that you are actually at a greater threat of, of being impaled or, or punctured and wounded by all of this rebar sticking up all over the place than you were of actually drowning in any sort of deep concrete. So, you know, with the history of that and, and, and the understanding of the construction, which doesn't take long to, to <laughs> dispel any, any validity in, in the legend itself, why... Why does that stick? I mean, why do people keep hearing that story when they go visit the dam? Uh, I'm sure chances are any of y'all that have have seen pictures of the Hoover Dam or actually been able to visit and, and take a tour of that, you know, someone standing around has pointed out that, oh yeah, there's bodies in that thing. Um, and, and, and so really, why? I mean... <laughs> It's it's fun. I mean, it's a fun story. And, and other than perhaps they're telling you just to perhaps spook you or, or get a rise out of you, some people genuinely consider the idea. And some people would argue that, oh, it's absolute fact. Well, let's get into the theology behind this. First, let's look at a bit of that historical record, right? During its construction from 
1930-31 to 1936, actually many workers did die. And that's and that's a very true and, and sad fact. Officially, 96 workers died from uh, dam-related causes like dynamite blasts, falling rocks, and etc. Now, this number doesn't even include those who died from natural causes like heat stroke and heart attack or other like causes. I mean, the exact total number of deaths is, isn't even really known. Uh, with 21,000 workers having been involved in this construction, the, uh, the amount of exposure to just the elements, uh, let alone construction materials, dust that's in the air, uh, uh, heat, fumes, all of that stuff, is going to have a, a an effect, and especially over just those intense work working conditions. Um, you know, and, and similarly uh, with projects that had related deaths uh, that could influence memory, such as that Fort Peck Dam in Montana. So we have actual deaths that are fresh on people's minds and that can be verified, and then we have a memory of deaths that have occurred at at similar construction. So now that we've talked about the historical record a bit and, and how that might influence our our fascination with with this theory, there's another area that uh, I really hadn't even considered uh, until trying to research this and hone in on on some some things and this is absolutely fascinating and it's it's the hero project effect uh now primarily this information is coming from a great white paper that uh titled uh, life after death evidence of the hoover dam as a hero project that defends against mortality reminders uh, uh, an on the nose if not extra long title by hc ross and se wolf now there's some key terms in this article that uh, that that we should keep in mind. Uh, the term "hero project," aka "legacy project," uh, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, some other terms: ter terror management theory. Now, terror management theory is it's it's a social psychological theory uh, derived from anthropologist Ernest Becker's uh, 1973 three work of nonfiction, The Denial of Death. In The Denial of Death, uh, Becker argues that most human action is taken to ignore or avoid the inevitability of death. The terror of absolute annihilation creates such a profound, albeit subconscious, anxiety in people that they spend their lives attempting to make sense of it. On large scales, societies build symbols laws, religious meaning systems, cultures, and belief systems to explain the significance of life and define what makes certain characteristics, skills, and talents extraordinary, uh, reward others whom they find exemplify certain attributes, and even punish others who do not adhere to their cultural worldview. On an individual level, self-esteem provides a buffer against death-related anxiety. So as you can see, terror management theory just explores that idea of how we handle the idea of death on both a societal and an individual level. 
Along with that is a, is a third term of mortality salience. Now, this is, is simply an awareness by an individual that his or her death is inevitable. And, and, and of course, it's tied directly into terror management theory. Now, in this, in this article, um, in this white paper, Life After Death, the, uh, the, the document is actually uh, exploring this aspect as, as an explanation of why these structures uh, were built, especially there at the, at the turn of the, the century, at the beginning of the, of the 20th century, that are very hard to sustain or even unsustainable uh, large impact environmental projects and specifically water management projects. And while they are specifically addressing this this topic of discussion, it, it actually proves very applicable for our our topic. See, in, in, in this research, there were three interrelated questions, right? First, was there evidence of mortality salience indicators in discussions of the Hoover Dam? Uh, they using that Hoover Dam as, as a historical case, they actually did identify mortality, mortality salience evidence in public statements, both during pre-construction, during the construction, and following uh, the, uh, after completion uh, in that post-construction phase. They actually found an abundance of mortality salience in public statements about the Hoover Dam during all of the phases. Now, the second question, could the Hoover Dam be classified as a legacy project or a hero project as defined uh, by Becker and subsequent research through that terror management theory? Well, their evidence did suggest that the Hoover Dam uh, uh, was a representative example of, of large-scale water infrastructure that really dominates the uh, contemporary supply management regime for, uh, for water management, might very well have served as a hero project uh, for specifically for those involved in its installation and construction. But I think uh, kind of in, in conjunction with that, also for the population in the region. And the third question that they addressed was, could the Hoover Dam and possibly other large dams, be a means to overcompensate for mortality fears for those involved in their installations, contributing to an environmentally unstable, unsustainable, but, but historical water management legacy. Well, characterizing the Hoover Dam as not only a, a water supply infrastructure project, but also as a hero project, intended to alleviate mortality fears really offers uh, a, a complementary explanation as to why uh, some of these very difficult to manage, very large scale, and, and to a degree unsustainable water management decisions were, were made in the American West. But <laughs> even more so to that, uh, you know, along with that water management aspect, and that's the conclusion they came to. It's do those three questions and the evidence that supported uh, their their hypothesis um, 
also seems to provide a very complimentary explanation as to the public's reaction in general. Uh, see, we could go over these questions a bit again. You know, obviously that first question of, of the evidence of mortality salience. See, they started researching um, news articles, uh, press releases, editorials, newspaper uh, clippings, all of that stuff from the area, uh, radio broadcasts during those three different phases of, of pre, during, and post construction. And what was interesting is the public uh, was very, very aware of, of the dam. And, and in the region, mind you, this, was, this is still, it's a, it's a very harsh, uh, arid environment. I mean, this is the, the southwestern uh, desert region. Uh, higher elevation. I mean, this is mountain, desertous. It's dry. It's it's what you picture when you think of the American West, and uh, and and the uh, you know the the guy on a on a skinny horse trying to find water and passing cactus and and uh, uh, cow skulls. I mean, it's it's it was that sort of environment. And mind you, there was already development going on. Uh, Las Vegas, um, and Los Angeles is not too far from there, and uh, Arizona. So, so there were already projects ongoing, but nothing to this scale. And and it's actually a very intimidating region, uh, you know, from an agricultural standpoint, from a ranching standpoint, uh, even from an infrastructure standpoint. How do you at all develop a, a population area and population center without good access to both water and power generation. Uh, so people talked about that throughout. I mean, they were very aware of the dam and they were, they were at first very intimidated by the prospect of, of the uh, flooding, right. Of, of the formation of Lake Mead and that region and, and how that would impact. And, and even the capabilities of the dam to hold back that much water, you know, would it end up posing more of a danger than uh, than a help. Well, during the construction and as this is going, you know, again with the the scale of people that worked on this, uh, discussions were probably had continuously, and a lot of information was available. Well, as it proceeded, people's confidence in the dam and in the construction grew, and with that, it started becoming a a positive aspect, right? This this fear of of resources and the intimidation of of nature uh, is suddenly um, it, it is suddenly tackled and addressed with this construction. You know, by by the time they hit this post construction phase, it was extremely welcome and it was an extremely exciting aspect because um, it was. Yeah, the the fruits of the labor were finally realized, and uh, it was uh, it was it was going to provide power. It was going to provide water. It was going to provide recreation. I mean, it was changing the landscape, right? Which all of that supports the 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 second question, which is, could the Hoover Dam be classified as a legacy project? Now, what is a legacy project or hero project? Well, it's it's just that i mean it's it's a project it's that's representative on a large scale 
of um, uh, something that lasts beyond death. It it uh, it cheats death, right? It allows us to be remembered as individuals that were involved in its construction. And additionally, as a community that is benefiting from it, it allows our community and our population to go on long after we're done. So, in effect, it, it provides a, a level of immortality, life after death, right? Um, and so, you know, finally, that, that, uh, that third question of could it be a means of, of, of addressing those mortality fears for, for all those involved? Well, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's what it did. It, it changed the landscape. It, it changed everything for those populations. And you can see it now. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a much different environment and it's, it's a much less intimidating environment, uh, right there around the lake. Uh, you know, it's, it's continuing to provide resources. Now that's, that's the biggest aspect of it. I mean, and that's the, that's the key to its, uh, its longevity and the, the lasting staying power of, of a legend, uh, about the dam, right? So, I mean, regardless of the urban legend about the, the Hoover Dam, the dam itself is extremely inf- influential, right? And, and it's extremely impactful. Uh, so, you know, I guess before we summarize it and, and, and pull that really together, let's, let's put this through that endurance test. Uh, in terms of the the legend of bodies being buried in the concrete, you know. So let's let's start with uh, let's go through our questions, which is how long has this perception uh, been around? Well, obviously it's a story that's been around probably since construction of the dam started itself. Uh, you know, the 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 moment the workers started telling the stories, uh, the moment. Uh, a news article was out about uh, uh, deaths at the at the Fort Peck Dam, or uh, someone was injured uh, and and died of their injuries at 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 the construction site. It uh, quickly morphed into uh, they were never heard from again. Two has it had a large influence in popular culture and media? <laughs> Absolutely yes. Just ask anyone that has taken a trip to the Hoover Dam about the bodies. I mean, many will tell you with certainty, as we just, as we talked about early, that those bodies are buried inside without question. And, and if you need proof, I mean, it's even in a verse in the song, The Highwayman, which was written and first recorded by singer-songwriter Jim Webb, um, and made famous by The Highwayman. And so, uh, you know, if, uh, if you need any more proof than that, it, it wouldn't be in a song if it wasn't true. Uh, is it still relevant today? <laughs> As an impactful urban legend? Absolutely sure. You know, it it speaks to the awe and the intimidation that the, the Hoover Dam presents. It's so massive. It is so amazing. And it's it's so hard to believe that something like that could just be built in that environment, in that terrain, under those conditions, that it it's 
it feeds it feeds the fuel to the fire now will it continue to capture public imagination going forward i think as long as as the hoover dam holds back the waters of lake mead and people can drive across that arid landscape to catch a glimpse of that awe-inspiring structure that urban legend is going to stick around and probably the others that are associated with it now you know to wrap this legend up i think it's safe to say that with absolute certainty that there are no bodies buried in the concrete of the hoover dam i mean not only is it too obviously just good fodder for tourist stories it's simply not possible for it to happen I mean, given the reality of the construction process, you know, the Hoover Dam, along with any large structure of its kind, isn't built by filling a, a single big box full of wet cement hundreds of feet into the air. Now, you know, this is just a good bar story. It's told by the workers that seems just believable enough to capture the imaginations of those less familiar with, with how it's built. Uh, what's really more important is understanding the impact of the that the dam made immediately during and after construction and the long-term impact to the public psyche it is continuing proof of our ability to survive in unforgiving environments and of our ability to tame the wilderness as it were you know, remember that terror management theory and of our our constant effort to ignore and avoid death so when you see the hoover dam for the first time or even the hundredth time it is awe-inspiring and intimidating uh, a macabre urban legend lets us flirt with the idea of death uh, in the comforting presence of a massive structure entirely intent upon alleviating our fear of death i mean i guess you could say that the hoover dam is a safe space but, uh, you know, if, if this has burst your bubble about the Hoover Dam, you know, don't, don't fret. I'll leave you with an even better fun fact about the dam and its construction that will provide equal bar story street cred. It's actually the story of a worker known as Alabam. <laughs> so there's a statue of Alabam uh, that is, is standing not far from the shores of Lake Mead. And uh, the the statue, it has him, it's eight feet tall. It has him in this just immortal pose with a wide-brimmed sun hat and a, and a long-sticked broom slung over his shoulder. And all along that broomstick and on ropes around his neck, he's lined with spare toilet paper rolls. See, Alabam was what's known as a high scaler, and uh, he was suspended from these uh, uh, flimsy guide ropes, and he was there to man and, and clean up the latrines that were set up all along the areas of construction. And he did this, you know, from sunup to sundown, uh, and I mean... That here's a great, great quote. It says, Here was a simple sanitation engineer whose job was so bad, even when temperatures hit 120 degrees, he climbed inside those tin latrine boxes 
you know, now he's uh, an unofficial greeter to this entire town. It's an incredible thing. Uh, so, you know, Alabama is one of those true legends and unsung heroes uh, that that live on. And it's really a perfect example of of a legacy project. Um, Alabama's little contribution, and he was, they think, probably already in his late 60s or 70s when he was doing this job. And he lived through the whole thing, and he was never buried in concrete. But if you want to hear of a wild story, uh, just just talk to him about, about Alabama and the guy whose job, whose sole job, to uh, uh, and contribution to the Hoover Dam was to make sure that every day those latrines were um, were ready for those 21,000 workers that were involved. Okay, well, that's all for today. So thank you so much for joining me. You know, if you like what you hear, go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss the discussion. Connect with me via email, contact at conspiracytheoryology.com. Join the Facebook group, find me on Twitter at TheoryologyPod, or just recommend the show to others. And there's no higher compliment than to know that you have shared the show with others. Let them know that they can hear the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and through pretty much any podcast app they might have. Or just send them to the website. All the info can be found at the show's website, conspiracytheoryology.com, including how to support the show on the new Patre- uh, Patreon page. Music is by Adam Henry Garcia. If you'd like to hear more of Adam's music, visit adamhenrygarcia.bandcamp.com. I will see you again in two weeks when we tackle another theory and make sense of the public popularity. So until next time, remember, beyond the conspiracy and behind the belief lies the theoryology.